Well, for the month of August, we are going to be um, exploring the Gospel of Matthew, some of the key events of Jesus' ministry. Last week, we heard about the feeding of the 5,000. This week, we're going to be looking at what happened immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. So today's passage will be Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. So I invite you to stand as you are able in body and spirit and honor the reading of the gospel passage. Immediately, he made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat battered by the waves was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking towards them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. And so he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and called him, saying to him, You have a little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, I like that uh, when Sam was talking to the children about their fears, you know, when I was younger, one of my fears was darkness as well. I mean, many kids have that fear. That's why there's an industry for night lights, you know, for little kids, just to give enough light in the room to where they can see everything and they're not afraid. But darkness was something I had to kind of overcome. So when I first got my job here at St. Matthew's, before I became one of the associate pastors, I was the youth minister here. And on Sunday nights, I had the responsibility that after we were done with our Sunday night fellowship and games and activities, one of my job responsibilities that I didn't know I was going to have when I took the job, but one of my responsibilities was at the end of the night when everybody is gone, you are the last one in the building, so you get to lock up and you get to turn off all the lights. And, you know, for a new job learning the building, it was kind of like, okay, did I get all the doors locked? There's 13 doors, by the way. So I had to make sure each one was locked and each had its own weird way to be jiggled and messed with to make sure it was locked. I had to hunt every light switch and turn off all the lights, which, by the way, I could not find the lights to turn off uh, for the narthex where that switch was. I was thinking to be in the narthex. No, it's in the front office by the copier on a separate wall. It took me forever. I called David Carroll, his senior pastor. I was like, David, I've locked every door. I've turned off every light. I'm by myself at the church. But how do you turn the Narthex lights off? Oh, by the copier. I was like, okay. But if you've ever been in this building by yourself in the dark, it's quite the experience, let me say. The gym can be as dark as a cave can be if you're walking through here. And you know, you know logically, hey, I'm by myself. I'm okay. I'm just turning off lights in a dark building, and it's going to be dark outside in the wintertime. It's all right, but you still have that little bit of a fear of like, what if I'm not alone in this building when I'm turning these lights off? I remember one staff meeting we had when I was still early working here at the church. At staff meeting, they made the announcement, say, hey, on Sunday night, hey, Brian, when you're here with the youth, y'all don't go in the choir room this Sunday night. I said, why? Well, we've got a funeral early Monday morning, and they'll go ahead and bring the body, and we keep them in the choir room overnight. I'm like, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, they don't. And they're like, yeah, they really do. And they said, a former associate pastor, LaRue, used to stay up here with the bodies overnight. So I was like, no, I'm not staying up here overnight with the body. And I can't believe we do this, but we will stay away from the choir room. So locking up that night was quite, I was not alone. It was quite the experience. But we would do sometimes in youth uh, for our high school students uh, a ministry event that I kind of inherited from the former youth minister called Marines, or we changed it to Disciples and Training. And that's for high school kids. It's an intensive week where they stay at the church during the school week. You know, they come to us. They sleep in the church. We wake them up early the next morning. We do a little personal training in the gym. They eat their breakfast. They take showers. They fix their lunches. We take them to school in the church vans. And they would go to school, they'd do the extracurriculars, we'd pick them up, bring them back for dinner. And then we would have mystery destinations for worship that would fit the theme for that week, okay? Well, we would rotate chaperones that would stay the night. We had a girl's room that was up here in the rec room, had a guy's room on the other end, and then male-female chaperones stayed overnight with them. And it was my night to stay, I have to make sure, of course, I to make sure all the lights are off and all the doors are locked before we all get tucked into our room. But when I was checking one of the rooms on the guy's side, I noticed in a Sunday school room, there was a little Bluetooth speaker just sitting there randomly. And I'm like, that's odd. I haven't noticed that there. And it's on. I'm going to leave it alone because I think they're, they're up to something. I think one of the guys is up to something, that Bluetooth speaker. So we all got checked in into our rooms. The, the female chaperone, the girls were in their room. We we're all tucked in for the night. All of a sudden, I hear this loud scream out down the hallway. And the guys in the room were like, Brian, did you hear that? I said, you know what? I don't know if I did or not. And then it screamed again. They're like, this is the second time. That's the second time. I was like, well, yeah, maybe there's something wrong on the girls' end, but that's two screams, and there's seven girls. We've got five more to go before they come over here, so let's go back to sleep. They're like, oh, my gosh, you're not going to go check it out? And I was like, guys. I know this kid over here on a school computer working on stuff is really playing the screams and the speaker down there. Y'all aren't going to fool me this time. But they were blown away. I wasn't going to check. I'm like, it's fine. We've got two screams down. We've got five more to go before they come over here. But we all have things that we are just kind of afraid of or make us look over our shoulder. And in this, in this story that we have of Jesus, you hear the word fear or, or anything that relates to fear mentioned five times. Five times in this passage. And so scripture, a great theologian once said that scripture, they don't have nice little highlighters that you can highlight with. So the way that the writers of the gospels and the writers of the letters get your attention, they repeat things multiple times. So when fear is repeated five times, or the concept of fear repeated about five times in this passage, then I think that's the theme we need to explore, is fear. You know, in this story of of the disciples and Jesus walking on waters mentioned in every gospel except for Luke's gospel. And so therefore, it's something that's worth exploring, okay? So what we have here is immediately after the disciples, immediately after, this means immediately after feeding of the 5,000. We just saw the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. The crowds are now fed. They've been ministered to by Jesus and his disciples after a traumatic week, Okay? And so now they're charged. They're full of the Holy Spirit. They're excited. But immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, and he sent them on their way to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee while he dismissed the crowds. This is key because there was so much charged energy and excitement. 
But many people thought that Jesus was going to be the Messiah, the king that will lead a military rebellion against Rome. But this was not the time. This is not the way. So Jesus knew he needed to send the disciples on to the next destination. He needed to dismiss the crowds. So it did not get out of hand. And so that's what he did. But then afterwards, remember when Jesus, before he fed the 5,000, he went to go get away from the crowds and the people. He was grieving the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. He had a rough week in his hometown. He was going to get away and pray, but then the crowds needing him found him, and he ministered to him. Now that everybody is gone, he goes to the mountain to pray by himself. And then in that moment, when people see that he is going to the mountain to pray, in that moment he is paralleling what Moses did when he went to the mountain. And see, see here in the Gospel of Matthew, he always likes to highlight that Jesus is like the new Moses. And he goes to the mountain like Moses does, to be with God. And so when he was there and when he was praying, it got later in the day. Evening came, it says. It gets dark outside. And by this time, the boat that had the disciples in it was a good distance from the shore. And then the Sea of Galilee began to bat it around like a little cork in a bathtub. Because storms can just pop up all of a sudden in the sea and throw you around in the boat that you're in. The wind was against them, it says. And so in this moment, you have a sea that's got a storm and wind. And the disciples were afraid. I mean, anybody would be afraid. I mean, the sea and scripture represents death, darkness, deepness, scariness, and here you are at night in a storm in a boat, and Jesus is not with you. But then all of a sudden they see what they see. They see Jesus walking on the water, but they couldn't quite comprehend what they were visualizing. They're like, oh my gosh, that looks like Jesus, but that's that's a ghost. This can't be true. He's actually walking on the water. But he says to them, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And so in these three verses of this passage, you hear fear a lot. They are in a boat in a scary time. They see what they think is a ghost. They're afraid. Who is this walking on the water? They had fear running through their veins. But Jesus comforted them and said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. You see, this can be us. This can be us in this story. As followers of Christ, we are his disciples We are in that vessel together. We are in this boat together. And as a disciple of Christ, you're going to be pushed against tough winds, tough waters, thrown around a little bit. It's not always going to be a smooth sail across the sea as you're journeying together as disciples. And so they have moments of fear. And for us, as us as disciples today, what are our fears? Not necessarily the darkness But the fears of being a disciple, what scares us when we take this journey? Are we afraid to speak out the truth? It's hard to speak truth in a culture like we have today. Are we afraid to speak the truth? Are we afraid to take that leap and go on that mission trip? Because it takes sacrifice. There's unknowns. I have a fear of flying, too. It gets worse as I get older, okay? Mission trips scare me sometimes because of the flight. Are we afraid to go? Are we afraid when we're asked to do the children's moment or to help at VBS or help in Sunday school? Are we afraid because we don't feel qualified to do that? Are we afraid to volunteer in our kids' ministry? 
Or is it a financial fear of giving to the church? What if I have an emergency and I gave my last little bit to the church? What are we afraid of? I think it calls us to ponder these moments. But what are our fears when it comes to being a disciple? However, though, we need to understand, and we see it in this passage, that whatever we are afraid of, whatever scares us when it comes to our faith journey, we are not alone. We are not alone in our faith journey. Because what do we see here? We see Jesus coming to the disciples, walking on the water to get to them, performing this miracle before their eyes to be with them, and says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. But it says, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come onto the water with you. And so Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, came towards Jesus. All is going great. I can only imagine what the other 11 disciples were thinking when they saw this scene of Peter getting out, going towards Jesus. But you know, there was strong winds. Mother Nature was overcoming Peter, and he became afraid. He became frightened. There's the fear again. And guess what? He begins to sink. But Peter does the right thing. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You have little faith. Why do you doubt? And they got in the boat, and the wind ceased. And then those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. You see, this story here parallels other stories in Scripture. You know, I don't know if y'all ever watched like Marvel movies or any type of movies, and they have what's called um, an Easter egg in the movie, something in the movie that points to something else that's going to happen or to a new spinoff series or whatever it is, something's going to happen. But it's a secret or hidden message, image, or feature reverencing that is embedded within the movie, often for entertainment curiosity purposes they even give nods to other movies pop culture items or real people behind the movie and they're usually hard to notice unless someone is looking for them you see scripture has easter eggs all throughout it scripture has easter eggs all throughout it and so what we have here in the old testament there is a passage it comes from psalms psalms verses 16 through 20 there's a psalm of david when he says this about god he said when the waters saw you Oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid, and they very deeply trembled. The clouds pour out of water, the skies thunders, your arrows flash on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the seas, your path through the mighty waters, yet your footprints were unseen. And you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. They are reverencing God, even walking on water, just as Jesus did here. And, you know, Peter was the one that had faith to get out of the boat. And where did this faith come from? Now, Peter is the one, he's the kind of fires from the hip sometimes. He'll say things not thinking about it. He'll cut off the ear of the servant that was trying to arrest Jesus. He'll do all these things, shooting from the hip. So it's not real surprising he'd be the one, I'm going to get out of the water. I'm going to get on the boat. I'm going to walk on the water. But he had faith, and where did this faith come from? Remember, they just saw Jesus perform the miracle of feeding the 5,000. Peter had faith. It may have been little, little like a mustard seed. It may have been just a little faith, but it was enough to say, if that is you, Lord, tell me to come on the water, and I'll come walk to you. And that's who it was. Peter is the one that did that. 
he got out. But just as we go and we as disciples fulfill our calling and take a leap of faith, when you take your focus off of Jesus and of the things of the world, you begin to sink into the sea of death. And so Peter was doing just fine. He was doing just fine until he allowed the winds to distract him. And he took his focus off of Jesus and he began to sink. How many times in our life when we go out and do something that we feel called to do, it feels great until we allow fear in. Until we allow this thing of fear and doubt to seep into our souls where then we take our eyes off Jesus and things fall apart. That happens to the best of us. We're human. It happens to all of us. But see here, what we have is in Psalm 69, another Easter egg. Here we have what it says in verses 1 through 3. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mirror where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the floods sweep over me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim. With waiting, oh my God, save me, oh God, for the waters have come up to my neck. Peter, as in Psalm 69, reached out to the Lord when he began to sink. He didn't try to figure it out on his own. He didn't try to kick his legs and tread his water. He said, just Lord, save me. Right back to that faith. And even in the times of our failure, God will reach out with his hands through grace and love. He offers that to all who seek it. And so here we see Jesus offering him that saving touch and raising him back up. And they together walking back to the boat on the water. What a scene that those disciples got to see. And immediately you see for one of the first times they proclaim, you are the Son of God. And right there in the Sea of Galilee, they worship the Lord right there in that boat. Praising his name. Seeing this miracle. Feeling his love and grace. So why did the disciples go across the sea? Well, short answer, to get to the other side. But they were sent by God to go over there because next they're coming over to some Gentile towns, towns that may be unwelcoming for them to share the good news. So they were going into an unknown territory sent by God, but they were not alone. Even though they may have been afraid, the Lord was there, right there with them. And so I think for us in, in our context and where we are today, a lot of things are motivated by fear and doubt. A lot of things are motivated by that. You see that rampant in the, the news cycles and the political campaigns that fear and doubt is being used to persuade people to make them scared if they go this direction, things are going to be bad. They, they get so flooded with that message. And even our churches begin to share this fear and doubt. And then we lose our focus on Christ. You know, I think we're called to, even though there's bid and bad, scary things out there, to not let that be the influencer of what we do as Christians. But yet our focus should be Jesus. Our focus should be living like Jesus. Jesus has been successful on the cross. He's won the fight. He's won the fight. He just now needs us to love him and love our neighbor and to live like him. And so while that is scary, we can do it. We can do it as a church. We can do it as an individual as long as we focus on him. Let us pray.